If you and I are to be the victorious Christian that God has called us to be in this life, we have to stop looking at ourselves as a casualty of circumstance, upbringing, or life. And as Christians start living the life that God has called us to be, and that is one that is called to be more than a conqueror, overcomers of the weakness of this life. Why? Because we've come over to the strength in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. It is hell that causes that grip on our lives. Why? Because the devil has a very purposeful strategy. If you haven't been to our Wednesday night class two weeks ago, I started a series on the strategies of Satan. How many have been enjoying that series? It has been quite eye-opening and quite understanding as we learn who this enemy is. Because, folks, the church don't want to talk about it. They want to think that he's some little guy that shows up once a year on Halloween with red horns and a pitchfork and a little tail flapping in the wind. But he's a whole lot more than that. He's not a, a figment of imagination or a persona of evil. He is the embodiment. He is the reality. He is the picture of evil that you and I face in this world today. But he is not the owner of all the evil that happens. A lot of the evil happens simply because of the person sitting in your chair. And my chair inclusive. So what I want to start this series off over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about this. But I titled today's message, Offense, A Prison or a Pathway? You see, I have said this many times over the years, but I start looking at a mature Christian life, and I start looking at your life and mine, and I, I understand that one of the greatest signs of maturity is not that whether something bothers you. Folks ask me all the time, Pastor, does anything bother you? There's lots of stuff that bothers me. I choose not to let it bother me. You see, many things in this world are bothersome, but the question you always have to ask, why does it only bother some? Now, I know that's a play on words, but think about it for a second. Why what bothers me doesn't bother you? What bothers you doesn't bother me. Is it not a picture of maturity? Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, when I was a child, I, I thought as a child. I acted as a child. I, I, I did all of these childish things. But when I became a man, when I matured, when I grew up, And folks, maturity has nothing to do with getting older. I know a lot of older people that aren't very mature. And I know a lot of younger people that are very mature. Maturity is seen by whether you let something bother you. Whether you get consumed by things. See, there's something I learned a long, long time ago. That when I forgive I set a prisoner free, only to realize the prisoner was me. I get offense, and I get offended by somebody, and I walk around carrying this chip on my shoulder, and this grudge on my plate, and this attitude. Don't look at me like that. You do too. And I've got to come to the place where I let go, and I say, God, this is your deal. 
Let me make a statement to you. If you and I are to be the victorious Christian that God has called us to be in this life, we have to stop looking at ourselves as a casualty of circumstance, upbringing, or life, and as Christians start living the life that God has called us to be, and that is one that is called to be more than a conqueror, overcomers of the weakness of this life. Why? Because we've come over to the strength in Jesus Christ. I want to inject this here before I get too far. Whether we like it or not, there are reasons that we go through some of the things we go through. I can take you through example after example. But if you look at Job's life, the guy lost everything. He didn't have a clue why, but yet in the end, he gained everything. Moses was at the top seat in Pharaoh's kingdom and was ran to the backside of the desert. Like from the desert, God brought a deliverer. Joseph went through one of the 12 patriarchs in growing in the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, to be sold into slavery by his own family, taken to prison, lifted up in Pharaoh's court, thrown back in prison, lifted up in prison, brought back out of prison only to face troubles again. This man, Joseph, went from prison to prestige. The title of the sermon, Offense, a Prison or a Pathway. Literally, offense can be a prison of pain or a pathway of of promise. It can be an opportunity to grow or the devil's intention, a reason to quit. Luke chapter 17. He said to his disciples, It is impossible, underline this in your words, folks. It is impossible that that no offenses will come. It is impossible that no offenses will come. It is impossible that no offenses will come. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that so it will sink in? It is impossible that no offenses will come. He said, but woe to the one who it comes by. It's better this person tie a millstone around his neck and be cast into the depths of the sea. Another place says it's better this person was never even born than he should offend one of God's little ones. Think about that for a second. Then he goes on and says, but take heed to yourselves. Now look at the picture, ladies and gentlemen. He said, it's impossible that no offenses will come. Woe to the one it comes by. It's better that person not even be born. But then he says these words, and I want you to circle this in your notes. Take heed to yourself. You know what God is telling us? The problem is not the offender. The problem is the one who got offended. Listen to what he says. If your brother sins against you, if your brother offends you, rebuke him. See, the problem is if we get offended, we just want to go on and not talk to him anymore. We want to go around and ignore them. Oh, we'll talk to everybody else about him, but we won't do anything about it. Can I tell you something? If somebody will walk up to you, and they'll talk to you about someone else, I promise you they will talk to someone else about you. Rebuke him. If he repents, if he repents, forgive him. Man, how simple it is. Let me go back to that. It's impossible that offenses will not come. If he offends you, rebuke him, forgive him. Well, yeah, but yeah, fool me once. Yeah, fool, shame on me. Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Oh, I'm not going to have happen again. Look what it says. If he offends you seven times in the same day. Like I told you, I'm going to offend the blank blank out of you. <laughs> he, if he offends you seven times in the day. And seven times comes up to you and says, please forgive me. Kill him. 
Oh, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. What's it say? What's it say? Oh, come on. I know more you can speak than that. What's it say? So let me ask a question. It's in your notes. Are we in a self-imposed prison? Do we really believe that God's grace is sufficient? Ephesians says it's by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves. We can't get saved, folks, by ourselves. It's God's gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. But this is the part I want you to underline and look at. We are his workmanship. All that happens when you get saved is you've gotten saved into the life that God planned for you to live. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Look what he says here. Underline this. For which God prepared beforehand that you and I should walk into them. Now let me tie this back into our text. It's impossible that you won't be offended. But God said, I created you to do good. So what's that mean with the offense? Man is so conditioned in today's society that he would rather see himself as an invalid than admit that he's a sinner. You see, we desire God's grace, but we live in the dilemma of man's depravity. Let me just place it simple, folks. Stuff happens. And every once in a while, we step in stuff. Wherever your mind took you, go there. We step in stuff. Sometimes you can scrape it off the shoes. Sometimes you got to throw the shoes away and start over. But stuff happens. Can I preach this way, folks? Are you okay? You know what sinners do? They sin. You know what offenders do? They offend. But the Word of God says, take heed to yourself. Did you circle that, folks? Take heed to yourself. We have this nature in our lives that lurks within us. This is why we have the book of Romans, to give us this understanding. I love Romans chapter 7. You know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Oh, God, who's going to help this wretched man that I am? And then he answers his own question. I thank God that through Christ Jesus, my Lord... I'm more than a conqueror. And guess what? We go right from Romans 7. Aren't you glad Romans 8 follows? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's that take heed to yourself that do not walk in the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Are you with me this morning? We live in a society that wants us to think that we're a product of our birth or our upbringing. But God teaches that we live in a society that's a product of its choice. You see, whether you're a drug addict, a homosexual, an alcoholic, or somebody of some better or worse social status, I want to make a very clear statement. It's not by chance. It's by choice. I've shared this with this church before. If you happen to be new this morning, welcome. Yes, I am the pastor. Yeah, praise the Lord. I, came, I, I come, I came, I can't ever get those words once straight. I came and I come from a family of 10 kids on the poor side of the tracks, folks. Folks, I do poor good before I got saved. After I got saved, I realized God said, no, I didn't give you a curse of poverty. That's man's choice. And God said, I don't care what side of the tracks you were born on. I don't care what side of the tracks you were raised on. You're now across the tracks called heaven. He said, I'm concerned about where you're going to live on. Can somebody say amen this morning? See, society always likes to talk to us about civil liberties and and about the, the fact that, you know, that we are a product of this, we are a product of that. The Word of God tells us completely different. But yet society, I was listening to talk radio the other day, and I was listening to this person, 
and I'm not getting political this morning, but, 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 but go ahead, and, and I'm, yeah, I'll say it anyway. They were talking about Obamacare, and whether you're for it or against, it's immaterial. Okay, I'm not talking about it. But they were talking about how all these people are raising up to try to cancel it. And they said, don't they know it's law? Don't they know it was voted into law? Don't they know that the people voted it? And then all of a sudden they talked up the subject, well, what about Prop 8 in California? The people voted that marriage was between a man and a woman, and they overturned it. So how come the people have something to say that's okay in your mind on this side, but not okay in your mind on that side? Oh, I'm meddling now. It's, I, it could get tough. But how come? You see, this is society. This is society. Can you say Amen. They want civil liberties, but when you talk about duty, obligation, or responsibility involved in those liberties, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. If you choose in this place to want to be a victim, that's your choice. But that does not give you the right to be a victimizer, to make your choice overcome my decisions. This is how offense works. Just because you think it's okay doesn't mean you can do it in front of me. Just because you think it's right doesn't make it right. Only if God's word makes it right does it become right. Can you say amen? Amen. Oh, you say, well, you're narrow-minded. I can afford to be unright. God's word said it's right, so... As long as I'm on that, I'm on the winning side. I love Abraham Lincoln. So many years ago, a clergyman came to him and said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side in this great conflict. And President Lincoln said, Sir, I am not so concerned about God being on our side. My concern and the prayer of my heart is that I'm on God's side. Ladies and gentlemen, as long as you're on God's side, you're on the winning team. Can somebody say amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place. As long as we commit to being on God's side. See, this is how offense works. He said, take heed to yourselves. If you and I choose to accept an offense, which is what we have to do to be offended. Remember I said that all things in this life, there's many things that are bothersome. But why do they only bother some? Because they choose to let it bother them. If you and I choose to be offended by something, we have a moral responsibility not to offend someone else because someone offended you. So how do you feel about being offended this morning? Feeling okay? There was a pastor that he and his wife decided they would put together a gathering for the woman's auxiliary. And it was kind of a garden party. They had a big lawn at their church with a great big oak tree, and they thought they would put a bunch of chairs under the tree and just have a morning party. All of a sudden, one day, the pastor, it was uh, the, the day of the, of the uh, event, and the pastor realized that he forgot to invite Miss Sister Hissy Fit. Didn't include her on the list. The pastor called the dear sister and begging forgiveness, said, Sister, I am so sorry that I did not catch this sooner. Will you please come to the garden party? The pastor conjoled and begged and beseeched the lady. But the offended Mrs. Hissyfit said, Preacher, begging won't help you now. I've already prayed for rain. Some of us sit back and say, well, forgiving ain't going to make a difference now. I've already prayed for judgment. I've already prayed for vengeance. Some of us do that. We'll say, God, forgive them, but get them anyway. See, God's grace is sufficient if we let it. If we want it to, it will enable us to overcome the offense. Let me tell you something about offense. Offense sometimes just simple criticism. You didn't do something, well, let me put it this way. 
You did something, but you didn't get the praise that you thought you should have gotten. You didn't get the recognition that you thought you should have gotten. Matter of fact, somebody came up and said, that was awesome. We just needed to tweak this a little bit. That was wonderful, but you could have done. You know, they're adding constructive criticism, not being critical. But how many have ever gotten offended by that? Okay, one or two. I'm going to have a heck of an altar call when we're done here, aren't we? Yeah. See, what I've learned is if I get criticized, deal with it. If necessary, change. Don't get upset. Don't get worried about it. Get over it. Say, well, what if I was wrongly criticized? Fine. Take note of it. Examine it. Go on. Forget about it. Why do you hang on to it? Why, when somebody does something they shouldn't do, do you grab a hold of it and walk it out with you? The 103rd Psalm says that God cast all of our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. And can I tell you something that God does? He puts out a no fishing sign. A lot of us bring our cares to the altar. And we lay there and we weep before God and we lay them before God. And then when we get up, we take a quick look around and we grab them and stick them back in our pockets and walk off. God said, leave them. Why do we hang on to these things? Another reason people get offended is because they think, well, maybe God's done this to me. Maybe God put this on me. Let me, understand, let me help you understand that the scripture says that we are masters of our own destiny. It is by choice, not chance. That we make heaven. Can you say amen? And I have to, in my life, when situations have to arrive of any kind, I have to look at it for what it is and look in the mirror and say, okay, God, what is my part of this thing? And if I have a part in it, then my job is to admit it, quit it, and forget it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Folks, I'm too, I'm too simple to be deep. It's just what it is. Admit it, quit it, and then forget it. But you don't understand, Pastor. There was a pastor in Scotland that was very evangelistic, and he walked up one day and handed the gospel tract to a woman, and the woman was greatly offended. And she said, Sir, you must know who I am in a greatly offended manner. To what the pastor replied, Ma'am, there is a day of judgment, and on that day, it ain't going to matter who you are. Ladies and gentlemen, you might have gone through something, you might have faced something, you might have been offended by something, but there's a day of judgment, and on that day, all that's going to matter is did you forgive and let God take care of it. That's all that's going to matter. Why do we hang on to offense? One of the greatest pleasures that I have in my life is that knowing I can do right in the midst of the wrong. It doesn't matter with whom. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. I can do right in the midst of the wrong. Some of you are sitting here this morning and say, I've got some right doing to do. Folks, people wrong us. Things happen in life. And most of the time, it's not the devil. It's not God, let alone fate. It is simply the result of choices that we or others have made. The Bible teaches us that Jesus came to give us life, not to condemn us in this life. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible talks about the Lord's return. And it says that some people say, God, where is your coming? What is the deal? You're, you're just waiting so long. And the Bible says there in 2 Peter 3 that he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that a single soul should perish, but that, ti- that time would come for sinners to 
repent. He is given as much time as possible. In Ephesians 4, it says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes in him, throw off that old sinful nature and that former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and be renewed in your thoughts and your attitudes because you were created in God to do this. I'm going to step on one or two more toes. Nobody owes anything to anyone in this life. No one owes anything to anyone in this life. There is no place that tells us to take from the haves and give it to the have-nots. It tells the haves to take care of the less fortunate. They to do it, not to be forced. And it tells the have-nots to do something about it. How am I doing, Wes? Me and Wes are together, we're good. No one owes us anything. But we owe ourselves to God. And it is God through his grace that will enable us to get over everything. But it's you and I have to choose to overcome. It said, do not you know, 1 Corinthians 6, that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Romans 14 says, do you not know that all of us will give account of ourselves to God? We have to accept the fact that people are going to do wrong, that bad things are going to happen. And knowing what to do is hardly ever the issue. It's virtually always doing what you know that makes the difference. Let me take you to the book of Revelation chapter 2. The Lord is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance, and I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but not, and you've discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered with me, uh, suffered for me without quitting, but I have a complaint against you. Remember our text says, Consider yourselves. He said, I have a complaint against you. And look what it says. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back and do the works you did at first. What Paul is doing is warning, or what the scripture is doing here is warning the elders of the church of Ephesus that there are going to be problems. In Acts chapter 20, we see this. Paul is writing, or Paul is, is talking here to the church, and he says, I know the false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in after I leave you, and they will not spare the flock. Even some people from among your own group will rise up, distort the truth, in order to draw a following after them. We see that happening worldwide. We see all kinds of sex raising up here, raising up there. People who are trying to draw themselves a crowd to follow them. The Lord is speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus and said, you're doing a great job. You're keeping the wolves away. You're protecting the sheep. You're equipping the sheep. He said, I know you don't tolerate evil people. You examine them to see if they're really men and women of God. You discover they're liars and you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But he said, despite these great qualities, there is a problem. It's a very subtle problem. Church, and I want you to listen to this. He said, you've allowed offense to come into your life. And because of that, your heart has grown weary. Your heart has gotten hardened, and you no longer love me as you once did. You have left that first love. Now look at me, church, for just a moment. There's times in our lives we go through stuff. And the key phrase there is we go through, we don't stay in. 
But yet the aftermath of it is we get scars. We get pains. We get struggles. And we think it's the people, but yet we don't value church like we once did. We don't value relationships with other Christians as we once did. We don't value the commitment to God, that time alone with God as we once did. Am I making any sense this morning? Oh, we've stood against, oh, we know this is right, we know this is wrong. We stand against on the word of God. We trust the word of God, and we say this is all, but yet our heart has gotten hardened. And we don't have that love that we once had. Can I hear you say amen? See, he did not say they lost their first love because they didn't lose it. They left it. They allowed something else to come in its place. If I lose something, folks, I can usually find it. And the older I get, the more things I lose. But if I leave something, I know exactly where it's at. And I've got to come back and get it. Jesus told them, you don't love me or everybody else like you used to. What had happened is devotion had become duty. They went through the motions, but they have no emotions. Offense causes love to become labor and worship to become work. And that's what happens in our lives when we have all these pressures and all of these situations and all these circumstances come into our lives. Let me start to wrap this up. To offend or to accept offense is attached to the hurt or the health of our heart. If we've accepted offense, it's easier to offend. It's easier to hurt when you've been hurt. It's easier to show pain when you've been pained. This isn't in your notes, but I want you to write it down. Our response to an offense determines our future. Our response to an offense determines the future that we're going to have. Paul understood this and he warned the church against the spirit of offense and those who practice it. And those who practice it are those that walk around offended. Many people, because of offense, are unable to function properly in everyday life let alone Christians in their calling. Why? Because of the, the pains and the wounds and the hurts that the offense has caused. They're handicapped and they're hindered from fulfilling their full potential because of offense. And let me put it down to where the rubber meets the road. The biggest part of the offense is it's usually a fellow believer that's offended you. It's usually another church person that has offended you. My niece, I saw my daughter told me about a post that she made on Facebook, one of my nieces. And she said that she got offended by one of her aunts who were a holy roller. And I'm thinking, man, I know my whole family. Nobody could be considered a holy roller in my family. Me, but she said an aunt. And I said, well, I'm not a holy roller, and I don't know who you're talking about. But her response to that is said, Because of her, I have chosen to just live by my own means and and motives. And it hasn't let me down so far, and it hasn't led me astray. So I heard that from my daughter, and I went to Facebook later, and I had no intention of responding to it, but then it just kind of jumped out at me. I don't even know where her page is. All of a sudden, there it is. Boom. I said, okay, God, I think you want me to respond. And so I wrote, and I said, you know, you're... Own beliefs may not lead you astray today, but they will one day. And then I started sharing with her about Jesus. Yes, some of you that write on Facebook, it would behoove you to talk about Jesus a little bit more than some of the things you talk about. Oh, yes, your pastor watches. 
you're not my friend on Facebook. Yeah, but I know how to find you. I've actually written, don't, don't get embarrassed, but I've actually written back to one or two. Said, uh, hmm, did you know the Lord was reading this? <laughs> and the Lord is not your pastor, but he knew your pen before you ever put it on paper. So I wrote back to her, and she was offended because of somebody very close to her. Look at me. It is generally those close to you that offend you. See, David dealt with this issue. In Psalm 55, listen to what it says. It's not an enemy who taunts me. He said, if it was an enemy, I could bear that. Verses 12 through 13. It's not in your notes, folks. This is, this is my after hours of working on this message. So you can write it down, Psalm 55, 12 and 13. It's not an enemy that taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foe who arrogantly insults me. I, I, could, I could hide from that. That's not a big deal. He said, instead, it is you. It is my equal, my companion, my close friend that offends me. You see, sadly, the offense comes from those that we sit with, those that we sing alongside with. It even comes from the one delivering the sermon. We spend holidays, attend social functions. We share offices with them. Those confidants, those compadres. Perhaps it's even closer. We grew up with them. We confided in them. We might even sleep next to them. The closer the bond, the more severe the offense. This is why Matthew 24 says that because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. He's talking about within the church. That's why our scripture says in our text, he said, consider yourself. Offenses are going to happen, but take heed to yourself that you don't lose that first love as we see in Revelation. The greatest hatred, lawyers say, happens in divorce court. Those who were once the closest have now become the most distant. And we have all seen the media report over and over and over about the home that once was a shelter, protection, and provision, and growth has become a place of pain and despair. Here are some of the areas of fence that show that we have a heart problem and that we won't let it go. When we sit back and say, well, Pastor, I'm the way I am because of my parents. Pastor, I'm the way I am because of my children. Pastor, I'm the way I am because of my upbringing. There were two twin sons that were interviewed one time. One of them was a great success. One was a great failure. Both raised in the same family, no marital breakups, no struggles, no difficulties. And both of the men, when they were asked what was the reason for their situation, they said it was their father. See, you can be raised in the same home by the same parents. You can have the same circumstances, same situation. But why does it only bother some? Why? Because somebody made a choice. We decided to take our life treatment and said it wasn't fair and choose to live in unforgiveness that has affected the entirety of our attitude. Oh, we can have these as valid reasons. But if we are to feel good about ourselves as Christians, we have to come to a place of being honest with ourselves that it's not our neighbors, it's not our neighborhood, it's not our job, it's not our income, it's not our family, it's not our children, it's not our aunts or uncles, our, na- our, our friends or our enemies. It is us. Can I say that again? Look at somebody and says, he put it right down to where I live, isn't he? It is us. We have to take the same stand that David took and said, God, I'm the man. Against you and you only have I chose to live this life. 
and then start to come with Paul in agreement and say, Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. And I can stand with Paul, even though he was going through a great perplexity in his life, and he said, God, I want you to take this thing from me. I don't know what it is. And listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 where, Paul, where God tells him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's all you need. You're weak. Come on my side and I'll make you strong. You see, for you and I to overcome, folks, we have to come over. And we have to accept the responsibility that the most crucial aspect of overcoming offense is coming over to the victor's side. You see, it is not the one offending that is the issue. It's the one who is offended. It is you sitting in this room today. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? John Bevere wrote an incredible book years and years ago. It's called The Bait of Satan. I would encourage you to get the book and read it. The whole book talks about being offended and how Satan uses that as a bait, as a trap, to lure us away from the things of God. John Bevere said, If you are offended and in unforgiveness and refuse to repent of this sin, You've not come to the knowledge of the truth. You're deceived. Folks, listen to it. If you have been offended and choose to live in unforgiveness, you have not come to the knowledge of the truth. You are deceived. And you confuse others with your hypocritical lifestyle. What do you mean? Going around talking bad about that one, those ones, that church, those people, that pastor. Man, it sure gets quiet, Andrew, when I preach like this. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to offend the hell out of you and me. Because that's exactly where offense wants to take us. Let's go back to our text. It is impossible that no offense will come. If somebody offends you, forgive them. Let it go. I found this little thing and I want to bring it out to you before the music starts. We've heard of the Beatitudes, haven't we? I found this, this is called the Devil's Beatitudes. And I purposely have kind of a hideous looking face up there because I want you to understand the importance. These are the Devil's Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are too tired, too busy, too distracted to spend even an hour once a week with their fellow Christians. These are my best workers. Okay, stop there. Listen. Why is it so hard to go to church once a week? Did you know most churches in America only have church once a week? Not because it's what God wants. It's because that's all people will do. Oh, my goodness. I'm irritating now. I got that gift, Bob, don't I? Yeah. Folks, back in the day when I was young, we had church four times a week. And we had revival meetings. I remember one time as a young pastor, I had a six-week revival. Every night for six weeks. You say, Pastor, you must not have had any people. The place was packed. And most of the people came every single... What happened today? Say, Pastor, you're offending me. Good. So I get paid the big bucks for. They're my best workers. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and then expect to be thanked. I can use them. 
In the church, the hardest thing to do is get people involved in the nursery. Oh, they get asked, oh, I got something else happening. Oh, they get asked to get involved in children's ministry. Oh, they get asked to get involved in ushers and greeters. They want to be asked so they can say no. But bless God, if they do anything, they better be thanked or they're going to be offended. Oh, Satan says, I can use them. Why don't you take a little check mark and put your name by anything that may fit? Just, I, that's not in my notes, folks. I just put it out there. Blessed are those who are touchy and stop going to church because they are my missionaries. Oh, I don't go to church anymore. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. You don't. You probably won't stay a Christian because you don't go to church. But you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You need the fellowship of the other believers. Isn't this a great way to end a sermon, Andrew? (laughs) Blessed are the troublemakers, for they shall be called my children. Oh, let's go on here. Blessed are the complainers, for their complaints are music to my ears. How many know people like that? All they do is they come to church, they complain. How many are people like that? Don't don't raise your hand, please. Yeah. Oh, the music's too loud. That music's too soft. The place is too hot. The place is too cold. The preacher's too long. The preacher's too short. Fill in the rest. Their music to my ears. Blessed are those who keep a list list of the preacher's mistakes because they get nothing out of his sermons. Blessed is the church member who expects to be invited to his own church for he is a part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Getting quieter. Blessed are those who gossip for they shall cause strife and divisions. That greatly pleased me. How am I doing okay? What did I tell you I was going to do before I started the sermon? Anybody offended yet? Oh, we're going to have a great altar call. Blessed are those who are easily offended. For they will get soon get angry and quit. See, the devil has his own Beatitudes. Blessed are those who do not give in the offering of the Lord's work. For in stealing from God, you are stealing for me. Oh, let me meddle just a minute. You know the way the church does everything it does? God uses people like you. I have have had in churches over the years very wealthy people. And the wealthiest always give the least. It's just regular folks like you and me that give it all. And that's how God does the work through the kingdom. You say, well, God can do it some other way. He could, but he chose to use you and me. That's what he chose. But I have so little. He doesn't worry about how much you have. He just said, give me what you have, and I'll take care of what you don't have. There's folks, like I said, I'm a medal, just for a second. There's folks that give $10 a week, and they call that their tithe, though they make $500 a week at their paycheck. There's people that tithe only what they feel God is leading them to that day. When the Bible is very plain and very clear on what tithing is. There are people that go to the church that they choose because they like the music, they like the worship, they like the children's ministry, they like this, they like that. When God may be taken to a church they don't even like because God's got something about you that he don't like. Mm, That's a good sermon. i got to remember that one. Blessed is he. Oh, yeah, there were ten beatitudes, or excuse me, about seven beatitudes in Jesus, but we got about 12 of them here. Blessed is he who professes to love God but hates his brother and sister, for he will be with me forever. See this forgiveness thing? It's not a choice. Our chance, it's a choice. God doesn't say forgive if you feel like forgiving. 
or only forgive if they make it right with you. Matter of fact, my Bible says in the book of Matthew that if you know your brother has ought against you, you hear the picture? If you know he has ought against you, you go to him. Does everybody still love me? Got one more. Blessed are those who, when they hear this, think the preacher is talking about somebody else. I've got you right where I want you. Are you offended? Remember, offense can be a prison of defeat or a pathway of success. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.